and welcome to Show Me The Money, episode eight. It's the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with Jess Robinson and the wonderful Stephen Follows. Hello, how are you, Jess? I'm very well, but I, I, I want to know how you are in Cannes. How is it? Tell me everything. Yeah, I, I, I should point out that I haven't been responsible for the, moving the dates so that I'm recording in Cannes, but I am delighted that that's happening because I get to say, oh, oh, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm in Cannes. <laughs> it's going really well. Uh, it's um, it's so nice to be back. Like it's just something that yeah. it's a you know it's an annual thing in the calendar, and it's the such a big event for for the film industry, and all, almost every part of the film industry has some relation to Cannes in some way, and so. Quite often you're like, oh, should I? Well, I see you in Cannes. Are you gonna be there? But is it before here? But after here? And so for it to be sort of back in full force is really exciting for everyone. And there's just this like buzz. Everyone just seems to be kind of happy and being like, hey, it's you. And like, I know it's you. And uh, I haven't seen so much joy in the film industry in a long time. A long time. So that's how cool. And which famous people have you bumped into? Anyone? Bumped into? No, that everyone's heavily. Heavily uh, guarded off from me, certainly. Uh, I have seen I've seen many people from a distance, but uh, but it's funny because you do see like it's such a weird mix, especially around sort of like five o'clock, where the people who've been working all day and are wearing quite not scruffy but just sort of very comfortable clothes and have been hot, they're traipsing around the streets, and then you've got all the people who are dressed up to the nines in like huge gowns and like tuxedos, walking down the street, running late to their gala premiere and stuff, and they're. They're crossing each other and it just all seems normal. But you can almost tell like uh, what time it is by how many famous and how many like dressed up people you can see. It's very bizarre. It sounds so cool. Have you um, managed to drink so much that you've got terrible hangovers yet or anything like that? Are you being sensible? I'm being incredibly sensible. Uh, I don't drink much anyway, but Cannes is a place that you absolutely don't want to. And I have a friend who's... Well, just because there's so much interesting stuff going on. Like, the worst thing you could do is be kind of completely inebriated. I'd spoil it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are so many free drinks everywhere that I think that you would maybe on the first day spoil it and then second day spoil yourself. And then after that, I think you'd just be like, you know what? Actually, it's much more fun to be having a a cogent conversation at 3 a.m. than it is to have a... Uh, uh, be on the floor with your feet up in the air. I don't know quite what your drunken position is. but like. <laughs> More or less like that, but singing as well. Um, so what nuggets about the money side of the industry have you picked up? Yeah, it's, it's been an, um, interesting because part of what can is is calibration, where people are sort of like, how are you doing? And like, how's your business? And what are you using and technology-wise? And, and also it, it's buying and selling the rights of films. And so this is where... You know, a film doesn't have an inherent value. It doesn't have an inherent price that's obvious. It's only in the negotiation. So it's only when people are like, okay, I have the right to this film and I will, you know, sell you the right to this, to distribute this film in your country if you give me X, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, that everyone's offering on a percentage of the money, but what they often structure it as is an MG, a minimum guarantee. So for a minimum amount of money, I'll get I'll get 100 grand from you and you can go and take this film to, to Britain and put it in cinemas and on TV and things. So this is where the deals are actually done. Um, and the deals are quite, they're secret. You know, information leaks out here and there, but it tends to take a bit of time. But what happens a lot is everyone is chatting. So we're in this weird industry where everyone knows what's going on, but no one can prove it. And there's not really the numbers. So I can give you a good picture of what's happening, but we can't sort of point to one or two things and say like, oh, it would have been this much money and and now it's this much. But um, there have been a few things people have been talking about, like the Hunger Games prequel, uh, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. 
Ooh. that has yeah, it's got quite a good title. Um so that was that's being sold for about twice what it would have been what people think it would have been worth before the pandemic. Um and then there's a Jason Statham film called The Beekeeper, uh, which I'm not making <laughs> up. And, and it's from David Ayer, whose previous film starring Shia LaBeouf was called The Tax Collector. So I can only imagine he's going through a list of jobs that he doesn't think <laughs> you'd expect there to be action films. And thinking The Beekeeper with Jason Statham. Yes. Uh, and it's, do you I, think I his method, the, does he have to try these jobs as well first? God, I mean, I, who do you think had the worst deal? Jason Statham learning to be a beekeeper or Shia LaBeouf learning to, to be a tax collector? I don't know which is the worst job for an action star. But um, but at this stage, we we don't get very much information about the movies because their their actual publicity will be heavily um, controlled and planned by the publicity departments. And so we only get little bits that leak out that are coming out of the deals. And so the description from the beekeeper um, that is... It follows an unconventional story with universal themes, deeply steeped in the mythology of beekeeping. So that's wow. something to look forward to. But um, but anyway, so one of those distributors who was negotiating to get the rights to this said that the price, well, they didn't say what the price was, but they said it was at a, a level that only a studio could afford, which they were expecting to be able to play. And so I think the general feeling is that prices are sort of 30 to 50% higher than before the pandemic. Um, and it's, you know, it's a few things. People are trying to make all their money back that they sort of, these are the companies that survived during COVID and they're trying mm-hmm. to get more money in. Um, there's also been challenges selling to China and to Russia and, and there's been a f- far fewer people from Asia coming uh, over here because of COVID and things like that. So I think they're trying to compensate from other areas. But uh, I think the big thing has got to be streamers. So Netflix, uh, Amazon and Apple have been acquiring content in the past quite... Oh, not uh, the sort co- I used to dance with. No, sadly not. No. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I'm sure you could dance for anything. Although some of these art house movies might be a hard dance, uh, quite interpretive. Um, but yeah, they've been acquiring these uh, movies in the last sort of say five years, and and in one year at Sundance, Amazon bought almost everything that was in the collection. But they've been cutting back, and as we've mm. been hearing, Netflix have been laying people off and had a tough time with their share price, and so they inflated prices over the last five years, and then suddenly disappeared. Not completely, but effectively. And then COVID and all this stuff. And so the prices are going through the roof and everyone's sort of going, well, we don't have that money. So I don't know what will happen in that. But it does, it's not going to probably affect the cinema going experience because it will all be yeah. ironed out. This is all inside baseball kind of stuff. Um, but there's also been lots of talk of blockchain, um, NFTs, crypto coins, all the things that oh, yeah. you're always telling me about, Jess. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't shut up about it. Remind me again. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to a, a party that was a crypto uh, NFT party thing yesterday. Did it and, actually um, happen or was it just in your heads? <laughs> <laughs> it's worth nothing now. Um, no, but when I walked in, they, they, there's a guy with, with stickers. He had a, had a book of blue stickers, of yellow stickers and red stickers. And he said, um, what, what sticker would you like? And I, and I was like, what, what, what do they mean? He said, well, the green one means that you know a lot about crypto and you're happy to talk about it. The uh, yellow one means that you're interested in it, but you don't have it. Um, and the red one means that you're really keen to learn. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> Just <walk laughs> no, away. thank you to all of them. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want any of them. Thank you very much. Um, but, it, but it seems to be, from what I can see, that this is all being pushed on the industry rather than demanded, as in filmmakers aren't saying, hey, how do we do this with crypto? How can we use NFTs to distribute movies? It's um, startups and startups with billionaire or millionaire backers, that seems to be a Mm. lot of that, who are creating solutions. And 
obviously in most startup spaces, the vast majority of the companies won't succeed and maybe one or two, most become pets.com, one becomes Amazon. I don't know if any of them will survive, but it definitely isn't being demanded by the film industry. The You know, the film industry is quite technologically averse, really. And so, mm. uh, but they were a lot, because when you've got money, it can, you could have a big, this party last night was uh, the variety party and, and the guy that was behind the whole thing, I think, uh, has a, a yacht where he was holding meetings on and stuff about crypto stuff. So I don't know what will happen with the future but it's interesting to see it here because three years ago when we were last here in force it was just was mm. nothing um and now it's at least showing up in the form of yachts and parties which is you know a different kind Very of glamorous it is indeed um oh, and then there's wow. also yeah and there's so uh, uh, there's another technology story which is that tiktok have partnered with the Cannes film festival the obvious oh, pairing have they? yeah and so they but then there was a they've got a selection of um TikTok videos that were quite short that were put into a special short film um, competition. And then uh, there's some sort of controversy, which I think will become clearer in in the coming weeks and days. So I'm not going to sort of start to speculate as to exactly what's going into it. But the head of of the jury quit. And said that, um, yeah, that, that they were interfering. And I think from what I can hear, it's something like the one that they picked probably broke one of the rules or something. And so Can stepped in and said, right, that's not the winner. So who's the winner? And the, and the head of the jury went, no, we've picked. I quit. And it all happened in public. Um, oh, you know, it's in wow. Emails and things. So that's a bit of juicy gossip for you. That's very um, juicy gossip. And then, yeah, one of the, the last sort of trend that's really been interesting that we're all just waiting to see how it fleshes out, which is that there are projects being marketed. So some have been shot already and some are trying to be funded, starring different projects starring each of these people, Johnny Depp, Alec Baldwin, and Kevin Spacey. So these are people who've all had or are mm. having you know, experiences with being cancelled, you know, for different yes. reasons. Johnny Depp for Amber Heard, Baldwin yes. for his the the shooting on the Rust set and Rust, things yeah. there, and and then Spacey had lots of allegations of sexual abuse against, yeah. you know, made against him from younger men over the years, and and yet, so there's this sense that they've been quote unquote cancelled, and yet it's a marketplace here, and if somebody will work for, you know, that somebody will hire them. And the, the the trailer for the latest Kevin Spacey film, the first one that he's sort of coming back, it is it's not good. Like it's oh, it doesn't God. look like a very good movie. Oh and my I think, gosh! But it's being sold. So whether people will buy it and whether the middle men and women here, the sales agents distributors, have any responsibility to not buy it, or whether they should just, if the audience are demanding it, you know what I mean? There'll be a certain sort of uh, macabre factor, and um, I don't know if those films will end up on any of the mainstream streamers or not, or. This might be a stupid question, but um, maybe we've covered this before. I don't know. But has this trailer, is this movie already made or have they just shot the trailer? Yeah, no, no, that's not a stupid question at all, because the the marketplace, there's all mix of things. There'll be everything from films where they just have a contract with an actor and sometimes not even a contract, just a handshake. And the poster will say subject to contract, which means they have not shot it yet. Sometimes they've filmed it and they've got some materials. And other times it's a finished film that is being screened to buyers Mm. in the market. This one is finished and the trailer is it's on YouTube, but it's unlisted. So I think it's been put up there to help the sales and things, but it's not publicly. I mean, (gasps) that's the weird thing. What I'll happens? You and have you watched it? I have. It's a very strange film. It seems to be about stalking in a small town, and he seems to be some sort of like uh, private. I'm not sure. This this shootings in it. It's it just 
it's not that I'm saying that the film, you know, films are made on all sorts of different levels and people have different mm. experiences. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the, the difference between... <laughs> so diplomatic. I, I, we, we'll, we all have to get to where we're going to get to and, you know, we should all be improving. But uh, he has, but the, it's interesting because you compare that to House of Cards where, he, you know, the sets that he was on, say, five years yeah. ago with Kevin Spacey, yeah. Yeah. he'd be on much cheaper sets now and uh, much more inexpensive, sorry. Um, yes. And uh, so, like, it's interesting because you, even when you're quote-unquote cancelled, people will still work with you. It's just where you have to go, you know, the stranger mm. people, the lower budgets, whatever it would be. And so what he's trying to do is is sort of re- rehabilitate himself and his image um, through working and just continuing <sighs> to keep working. So I'm not sure I, – I, we don't know what that will go, but it, these are the first tests in the marketplace, aren't they? Because they're the first ones where people are like, are you going to buy this? And everyone's going, well, are you selling this? And then we're <laughs> going to see how people respond and – you know, it'll be interesting to see if if the mainstream side of the industry picks it up or whether it just becomes some straight to uh, online film where just a small yeah. number of hardcore fans or, or anything like that or it becomes a cult yeah. classic or whatever. I'm not sure. But, um, oh, but fascinating. I, I was approached by a, a filmmaker I know called Ben Aston, who's got a couple of pro- projects he's writing with Netflix. And he uh, he's a fan of the pod. And he said that he came up with the best digital blag for Cannes. And he wanted me to tell you about this one. Oh, yeah. And I think this one's great. So okay. as the, the the sort of blagging that we were talking about last week is the sort of how you get yourself into parties. And yeah. all of them are sort of old school Cannes. And they're sort of physical around how you sort of get past the bouncer. What Ben did was that he emailed all the organizations saying, thank you for the invite. Um, making it look like it was a reply, but with nothing underneath it. And enough of them put him on the list. Oh, my so- <laughs> gosh, that's wonderful. What a hero. I've yeah. got to meet this so person. Yes. He sounds like um, my you- kind of guy. Yes, you'd like Ben. Um, but it was just such a fun digital blag. And so I'm, I'm really, because so in good. the age of QR codes, it's harder to get into places. But just to yeah. say thank you. And we, we discussed whether it would be better to say, uh, you know, uh, I am Jess's assistant and I understand that she's been invited. Can I confirm the details? But that felt a bit too complicated. The sort of casual kind of, yes, I would love to attend. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, please send me the details. Out. I yeah. love that. Oh, yep. what a legend. What a hero of the pod. Yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Um, <laughs> our uh, our second topic is the new ad-supported version of Disney Plus will not show alcohol or political advertising. I think that's right, don't you? Yeah, it's Disney are a brand, aren't they? So they, they yeah. when you know, because I mean, when you hear about like a Warner Brothers film, you don't know what to expect or a Paramount film. But when you hear about a Disney film, you have a certain level of expectation, especially as a parent, you know, yes. um, you're expecting it to be kind of safer. But as they get even bigger and as they get all of the, the content from Fox and all that sort of stuff, they're mm. risking their, the strength of their brand because they have so many different types of content. So Yeah, they've got adult stuff as well. and They do, yeah. yeah. And, and that's going to be – so the, in, in the growth and the natural evolution of this company, if it weren't Disney, you would have – you know, alcohol and political advertising because it's mm. a huge amount of money. It's multi-billions around, you know, each year around the world. And, you know, the, with America especially where this is – the trial of this is going to happen, uh, it's like they, they spend seven or eight billion on just the midterms, not even the presidential elections. And you can imagine if they're Disney have got a big selection of, uh, of audiences in America, the, the politicians would want to be spending money on there. So Disney, which is a, you know, proper – big corporation that's trying to make profits is has made a very tough decision here for themselves because they're turning away i mean almost definitely billions of dollars 
in in revenue for their brand. And so that's kind of interesting that they have prioritized. And I and personally, I think they made the right choice because, like you mm. said, I don't want to lose the Disney brand. Um, but it's also interesting to think about how they're doing because they're doing it very, very delicately. Um, because they, as we've discussed previously on the pod, the next level of growth that will be for the streamers, including Netflix and all those people, will be probably, they're cracking down on passwords, but they're also probably adding ads to ad-supported tiers where you're paying, well, actually, I don't think they're going to reduce the amount you're paying. I think they're going to increase the ad-free one. I think that's the way they're going to do it. But, you know, there'll be ad-supported um, tiers and and. Disney own Hulu, which is a um, such a, a similar sort of streamer in the yes. States, and that has ads. And so they've been using that as a sort of testing ground. And 70% of their viewers are on ad-supported plans. So Disney is saying oh. that they think that the majority of Disney Plus subscribers in the coming years will be on ad-supported plans. Yeah. So this is a big shift from where we are now. So mm. this ad-free ad world you're currently living in, mm. get you, don't get used to it. Enjoy it. Um but it's still interesting how the, there's so few. I mean, they're talking about doing under four, four minutes of ads per hour. And on television, it's so much more than that. Like on television, it can be like, you know, 15, yeah. 20 minutes of ads an hour. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether we're just going to, they're going to slowly move towards what television has been for a long time and we're oh, just going to get used to, I know. Um I don't know where it'll go. I, do you, you can't skip the ads, which is the bit that on television, you can turn down the sound and disappear off for yes. a cup of tea. You can't on um, uh, if I'm watching something on my laptop on a streaming hub. Uh, if I mute it, it pauses. You have <gasps> to keep it on, so I have to physically go out of the room if I don't want it. You can't <laughs> you open to... another window or anything like that and think, "Oh, I'll just do my emails while this is on." No, you've got to. Concentrate. You know there is there is technology at the moment. It's all voluntary, but there's technology that uses cameras to do eye tracking to see whether you're actually watching it. Oh, that's horrible. So, yeah. So at the moment, they're all voluntary. They're not sort of spying on you, but it's a service that will be ad-supported. So the other side of ads, so we all hate ads, but mm. the other side of ad-supported is that you might get something for free. So uh, there are services where you can watch a TV show or a movie for free, because like you can on, say, ITV in Britain, if you're watching the ads. And so they've got this technology where you've, you, you sign up for it, so you know it's going to do this. And if you're looking at the ad, it goes green and plays the ad. And if you look away, it goes red. Oh and you God. earn credits to be able to watch movies. Yeah. Wow. I, it, I mean, it's, it feels what creepy. What if you've it got a like squint, ads. like you keep having to blink or something? Does it? Does you it, never see anything for free. <laughs> I, I want to know if I can put on glasses that have eyes painted on them or, you know, I don't know. There must be ways of tricking it. But at the end of the day, maybe we should just watch the ads and not care about it. But uh, but this is the this is way it's going. So the, the ad-supported world is going to involve... I mean, right now we're probably in a heyday, uh, the, the, the best point you probably ever have in streaming because we have loads of services paying, you know, billions for new content. Yeah. We're paying relatively low subscription costs, although some of us aren't paying. We're all worried about that. <laughs> who? Um, <laughs> who would I do that? <laughs> listen, someone involved in the pod, and I can't say who it is because she'll get really mad if I if I out her. Um, but, um, but then also we haven't got any ads on any, anything. So I think we're going to have less content. Uh, fewer options uh, yeah. we're going to have uh, more ads and it's going to cost more if you don't want ads because I think they haven't announced how much this ad free tier will be but the current estimation is that they're going to just keep the current price the same and add ads and then say if you want yeah. it ad free you have to pay an extra five or ten bucks a month 
Um, yeah. And this is this is what this is what the um, shareholders are looking to. Like, well, I so wonder what my really friends will do. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, we don't know any of these people, so we just can't think about it. But um, but but there is a strategic thing going on here. So like, they're not going to show ads on children's programs either, or children's profiles. So you could set your profile to be a child, but you then wouldn't be able to watch any of the sexy, exciting stuff that maybe you want to watch. So yeah, you could watch I, I like pretty much some murders and things. Yeah, otherwise it would just be Sonic, the whole series. Uh, no, no, no more Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but it, it's possible that Disney are doing this now, not just to protect their image, but because currently streaming is not regulated. So television is heavily regulated as to what ads you can show and when and disclaimers. And, you know, the FTC in America is an Ofcom in the UK. Like, they're really, really on the ball with this. And actually streaming is a new frontier. And so if they can prove that they're self-regulating and mm. that they're being responsible, maybe they'll get away without being regulated. I think there's a strategic sort of multi-decade long corporate plan going on here of let's not just try and get loads of money this year from, from mm. showing scary ads to kids because then we'll get regulation. Let's see if we can get away with it. Um, so there might be that at play as well. Interesting. Oh, well, it'd be interesting to see how that works out. Um 3D movies are making a comeback in movie theatres. I wonder if I could um, have my three, my old 3D glasses um, with eyes painted on for watching the adverts when they're tracking me and then just, just uh, you know, take the sticker eyes off for watching the 3D movies. What, what do you think about this? And will my old I mean, glasses work? Because I paid for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I used to end up collecting them unintentionally because you pay them and bring yeah. them back. Well, well. Uh, to take your, your your very serious question very seriously, it depends what type of three D it is, uh, because three D works what? in different ways. So, yeah. So basically, three the way three D works is basically it shows different images to each of your two eyes, and so you get a stereoscopic thing. And one way of doing it, the old way of doing it, was with the red and green because it would, and then they have different filters for the light. But the yeah. the more recent way is when polarizing filters. So um, every other frame or every other line, depending on how they're doing it, is showing something that only one eye can see and then the other eye can see. Um, and then uh, the more sort of fancy ones that give you less of a headache actually have little batteries in them and synchronize turning uh, shut, turning on and off the shutters. And so you get more light that way. And so those older ones are more proprietary. They need more batteries and things like that. But you, I wouldn't paint eyes on any of them. That would be my recommendation. Um, but, but I paid ten pounds. I paid ten pounds <laughs> at, at view for those glasses. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. You would want to bring your glasses back with COVID and everything. You wouldn't want the ones that the per last person used. Um, no, but just but for security, I'll be very upset. I'm afraid. If maybe you can cash them in. Here's a question. Just then. sign them. Um, yeah. If I only had one eye, would 3D work? No. But it wouldn't work normally for you anyway. So, okay, actually, you know what? To take your que your very serious question very seriously, because I feel like they should do this, is there's two ways the brain works out whether something's in three dimensions. One is you get different information to each eye, which is why if you close one eye and close the other, you see slightly different things. The other is by moving your head and seeing how the parallax changes. So, I'm doing it. Uh, yeah, in both, <laughs> I can imagine you just bobbing your head wearing your glasses. I want you to wear 3D glasses on the pod next time. Well, none of us will know, but I think we'll can tell. Um, but yeah, so uh, so actually, uh, no, if you have one eye, I don't think there's depth perception. And I think, uh, but and what do you think of 3D movies? Like, do you prefer watching things in 3D? Um, I must say, <laughs> because I'm a bit of a child, 
I will spend quite a lot of the movie looking at it without and then with, without and then with, and then I won't be following the storyline. I'll just be looking at like all the weirdy colours. So... Jess, stop wriggling. We're watching a movie. There are other people here. Stop picking your nose. I'm a bit of a nightmare. Um, if I could concentrate on it, then I might like it. <laughs> That's true of most things, I imagine. I don't know. Do you? What do you think? Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. I mean, I wear glasses anyway, and so glasses on glasses isn't a fan. I'm not a fan. I mean, I do. It's just not. It's, it's extra complication. I don't know. I kind of it takes me out of it a little bit. I tend to wear contact lenses if I go and see a 3D movie, just so I can only have one pair of glasses on at any one time. But um, but it, it's so. So I have another question for you, actually. So 3D actually was invented. Uh, well, the, the 3D technology, the idea of showing different images, different eyes was around before movies were around because you could do it with photos with two cameras. Mm. Um, so given that it's as old as, as film itself, mm. what year had the uh, I think this is in uh, US production of all movies made each year, all the all the films, feature films made, which year had the highest percentage of them being made in 3D? Now, is this going to be a trick question and it's going to be something like the, the 60s or 70s? Because I, I can imagine people with 3D glasses then. But then I did see the 3D Muppets movie and that was not enhanced <laughs> by it being 3D, may I what? say. That I'm going to go sense. for 1970. No, 80s, the 80s. I said what year, not what decade. I'm not letting you get off on a technicality here. You're not going to have 10 answers. That sounds like cheating. I think you know me better than that. Oh, now, come on, everybody. What do you all think? I'm going to say 1985. I've gone very left field. Mm -hmm. Well, I can confirm yeah. that you, you're oh, wrong. wrong, but you're not... So wrong that I mean I mean you're thirty years out, but but you also <laughs> but but to be fair to you, there have been various like peaks of of three uh, D movies and the eighties was one of them. Yeah. So you're you're, I, you're I totally wrong, but it's a credible that, yeah. guess. You okay. totally knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so like the f the first round of like three D movies were was in the nineteen twenties. And uh, that's where a lot oh. of the things have been called the silver screen, screen were come, coming from. Because one of the problems with 3D is however you do it, you're, or in most ways that you're doing it, certainly up until the recent technologies, you're cutting out half the light. So it's a lot darker. So right. they used to use literally silver screens to make it shinier to bounce the light back. Oh. Um, and then the 1950s had a big boom. Um, and the biggest year, by the way, was 1953. Uh, 1953 was the year with the highest percentage, not the highest number, the highest percentage of movies being made in 3D. And... I remember that, that sort of really cleared up something for me because I saw years ago um, Kiss Me Kate on TV and yeah. uh, they were throwing books. They were having a fight and they were throwing books at the camera, which is a weird like way to shoot it. And I remember this is like watching it like on a Saturday afternoon on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit How where they're funny. fighting and, and they're throwing books at the camera. And I was thinking... That's such a weird shot. And then <laughs> years later, I discovered, I learned, I was doing an article about 3D maybe four or five years ago. And I, and I, I was like, oh, that was the year that. So there was a few movies that sort of boomed in the 1950s. Um, and there was one uh, called, oh, what was the name? Oh, yes. Um, Buana, Buana Devil. And it's a, a story about in Africa, about uh, a couple of lions terrorizing some people, I think building a railway. But the um, tagline has always stuck with me, which is uh, a lion in your lap, a lover in your arms. I always thought that was quite nice. I, we don't have taglines that good anymore. Describe yourself on Tinder. I, that's exactly what it is. All I put 
is a lion in your lap and a lover in your arms and no photo, nothing else. Because what else do you need? Like that's, that's uh, and the, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to be recognized. I'm worried people are going to go, that sounds like Stephen. Um, but yeah, so the 1950s saw a whole boom of movies and, and there was quite a few that came after that. And then it sort of died away. And then the 80s, there was lots, there was Jaws 3D and Piranha films and things. And then the 2010, so it's about, about every 30 years or so, it's sort of come back. Um, and it was Avatar that really pushed it. Well, there was a few things that happened. One of them was that Avatar came out and James Cameron's very pro 3D. It was a movie made for 3D. They put a lot of research and effort and cajoling into getting 3D equipment into cinemas and stuff. And also there was this deal done that's kind of one of these sort of inside things that had a massive effect on the global culture, which was that China heavily regulates what films can come in to China, what foreign films. And so they have a quota system where it's you can have 34 films a year that come from the whole of the world. And oh. in 2012, uh, Biden, who was then the vice president, managed to negotiate an additional 34 films that were uh, IMAX or 3D films. And so there was an additional thing. So that what that meant was half of all the international films uh, that were in China were 3D or IMAX, and they're only made by the studios. So it made sense for the studios to make films in 3D because then they'd get into China, which is a huge market. And so films were made in 3D for international reasons. Um, and then we they would obviously bring them out over here and then they could charge more, uh, you know, a few bucks more in the box office. That helps revenues. Um, it's hard to pirate it. Well, it's mm -hmm. impossible to pirate that experience. Mm. Um, and so they, and you know, Jurassic World, half of the money that was, half the box office gross was 3D, but in China it was 95% of it was 3D. So there are films that are just released only uh, 2D the rest of the world and 3D in China. Um, but it, it just, I mean, people just in China they're very big fans of it, and in some Asian countries, in Germany it's bigger than it is in most of the other parts of the West. But in Britain and the UK it really declined. Yeah. And 3D box office was about 18% of the box office was 3D in in the in 2010, and that's down to in the last year before the pandemic, 2019, it was down to 4.5%. So it's really been declining, yeah. but it's likely to come back. Well, Avatar, Avatar yeah, that's that will be in 3D again then, like we expect. Yeah, I don't know why it's not called Avatars. Um, I wonder Avatar if the beekeeper will be. <laughs> yeah, he's going around <laughs> catching the avatars. Um, but yeah, so what the, the, we have the first little signal that they're, they're really going for this. Where so Doctor Strange was made in three, well, was released in three D. Some just as a side, some of these films are actually shot in three D, but most of them are not shot in three D. Avatar is, but most of them are shot in two D, and then what they call is dimensionalized in post production because uh, it's much cheaper and, and there's so many visual effects elements anyway that it's easier to do it that way. Um, but Doctor Strange was available in 3D. In the UK, it was pretty much all 2D. Mm -hmm. But um, they had the new Avatar trailer ahead of Doctor Strange in the opening weekend. And 10% of the people who went to see Doctor Strange chose to see it in 3D, um, which, is a, which is a sign that people are interested in seeing both the Avatar trailer, but also Doctor Strange in 3D. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the predictions are it's coming, it's coming back. Um, now, I remember when 3D was big uh, when i when i was alive um 80s 50s uh, <laughs> 1920s when, when we, should we just leave it vague yeah we'll leave it vague um uh if we wanted to watch anything 3d on telly you had to have a special 3d telly as well that had that capability is that going to happen i wonder 
Well, 3D tellies came and disappeared really quickly. They and, did. Uh, and the thing is that the concept behind them was pretty cool because you can watch a 3D movie, but also for video games, it's pretty cool because it's in 3D. Oh. But also for 3D, you could have two people who are playing a multiplayer game, each of them seeing only their screen, Ooh. but on the same screen. Or even you could be, if you had headphones on, you could be watching a different movie on the same screen to someone sitting next to you because you can have different polarization. I'm not sure who needs that. But um, I did. I did read about like there was a study that was done. It was. It wasn't about movies. It was looking at uh, false memories and social. Um, fo- you know, taking social cues from other people, and they showed a group of audiences. It was in a cinema, and they all had three D glasses on, and they were shown two different versions of the same movie, but they didn't know this. Mm-hmm. So the audio was the same, but like one of them, let's say one of them was I don't know what how the differences were, but let's say one was really bloody and gory, and one wasn't, just visually different. Uh-huh. And they then let everyone chat afterwards about the movie, and they they realized how people's memory would be shifted. So let's say you and I saw a different version. Yours is very very bloody, and mine doesn't have much blood in it. You and I would be chatting, and you'd say, "Oh, it's so gory." After a time, I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, it was." And I would then be describing it as gory. And so that was such an innovative use of the technology to sort of check how people... But um, but yeah, going back to 3D. So yeah, so the the TV is boom and bust because people didn't really want them. They're also, as I said, it cuts out some of the light and cuts out some of the frames. And so Mm. the technology wasn't quite there. But now the technology uh, is getting a lot better. There's laser projectors that are brighter um, Avatar 2 is being shot at 48 frames a second, which is twice the number of frames that you'd normally have. 24 frames a second is mm-hmm. is normal for film. And that means that... Because if you're showing every alternate image is for your left or right eye, each eye is seeing half as many frames. And so that's part of the problem. And so um, they sort of... They, so they're shooting at higher frame rates. Um, they're getting better at working out how to use it creatively. Um after Avatar came out, there were a few movies that used it really well, like Gravity and mm. Hugo. But then loads of movies were just dimensionalized in post-production so quickly. Um, the Clash of the Titans was dimensionalized in about four, about ten weeks, and which is really quick. They just basically mm. looked like a pop-up book because they were trying to get into China. So they were like, oh, God, everyone wants 3D. Um, um, um. And so they just sent it off to, like, I think it was a VFX artist in India, just like, cut this out, make this 3D. And it just hurt people's heads and it looked rubbish. And then everyone was like, well, 3D looks rubbish. And uh, they got better at working out how to make it work and better at working out how each cinema is slightly different. And so uh, when when they get delivered sound files, they can be adapted for the exact project exact uh, speaker setup in each cinema and they're starting to do that for 3d where they're like okay well because they can affect the depth as well like how yeah. deep is it um how deep is your movie um how deep but is I, your film? <laughs> I think that i did a survey of the film industry like i don't know eight years ago and i interviewed loads of i sent out a survey link uh to a load of people that had been to various film markets and i one of the questions i asked was does 3d make a film more enjoyable 2d and uh what percentage of the film industry do you think uh Mm. the people that buy and sell movies what percentage do you think agree with the idea that 3d makes a film more enjoyable than when it's in 2d oh 10 percent i mean that's coming from me right yeah five (laughs) percent right and they all almost all worked in marketing right so i think they just believe it so i don't think anyone is I mean, I think James Cameron sincerely believes that this is better for storytelling and there are some people who prefer it. But the vast majority of audiences are kind of 
put off by it and the industry doesn't really think it's better as art they think it's better as commerce it's more protective it can yeah. go in more places they can yeah. charge more so that means sadly that it's more likely to to actually come about because um yes you know money money is, money you know, Money, money, money. So, yeah, 3D movies are coming. If you don't want to see more 3D movies, stop paying for 3D movies. That's my PSA for the day. Uh, if you, Because every time we pay for things, especially in Britain, we, we see a terrible movie coming out and we're like, oh, that looks rubbish. And then we pay to go and see it and then we make fun of it during the movie and on the way out we say that was terrible and we feel all smug. But the second we paid for it, we've voted for the sequel. <laughs> Oh, God. Get your money back. Get Within the first 20 minutes of a movie, back. you can walk out and you can say, I want my money back. And they'll first fill in a form with the manager and they'll say reason for wanting money back. And you say movie was shit. And they write down movie you was shit. You can get your money back. Reasoned. I've done that. I am, I'm, I've right. done that four or five times. We need to cover only this the first in next, 20 next so. episode. I'm very interested in that. You, what, you can't watch the whole thing. No, no, no. Oh. Sadly not. I mean, like, that's not one of those things you can eat at a restaurant and go, um, I'm not going to pay. Um, but uh, you can tell the difference between this is my theory, right? So when I uh, some restaurants you pay, most restaurants you pay after you've eaten the meal, but most pubs and things like that, you pay before the food arrives. Yeah. And I had an American friend who asked years ago, what, why is that? And I was like, oh, you, you'll see. And I have the same theory that if you had to pay for the movie on the way out, it wouldn't work. So, yeah, when you have to pay, you have to pay in advance. But if you walk out in the first 20 minutes, though, I think, actually, I won't name the film because that's not fair. But there was a British film a while back that I remember just thinking, nope, 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 nope. And I walked out and asked for a refund and they were fine with giving me a refund. Um, mm. 20 minutes in, I think. Very interesting. I'm, I'm sad you can't do it straight afterwards. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you could if you try hard enough. But yeah, <laughs> We have a uh, listener question from Chris Jingle, Hunter. Please. It's the listener question time. There we go. Uh, It'll be a a different jingle each week because I forget them. Um, (laughs) uh, Where is Chris Hunter from? We don't know. I'll put him up north. He says, (laughs) loving the new podcast. I was thinking of a question while listening to... uh, I was thinking of a question while listening to the last show and then you created the scenario of Jess selling her autobiography. This sounds like my friend Jen from Milkshake, by the way. <laughs> Got any kids? I'm loving it. Um, the film of the book of the life of Jess is in pre-production. It's called Voices in My Head, Chris. Let's not forget that. During <laughs> negotiations about fees, Jess has heard of people getting a percentage of points on films, takings... Oh, I'll say that again. Sorry, I'm reading it terribly. During negotiations about fees, Jess has heard of people getting percentage points on films, takings, and is now asking for 2%. How would Hollywood agree to this and be confident that they would never actually have to pay Jess a penny? I'd love a whole episode of the wonders of Hollywood accounting as I can't see how some of the stuff I've read is legal. Okay, that's a great reading. Thank you. And I think we should spin the wheel every time with a different location (laughs) around the world. Okay. Readers, when you send your question in, don't tell us where you actually are. Find a place that has a historically hard accent and just tell us you're from there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but nothing so I'll get cancelled, please. <laughs> um, yes, thank you for the question. That was a, that was a great question. Um, so Hollywood accounting is a really big topic and it's a really interesting one for me because it's all theoretical. But anyone who's actually experiencing this is obviously having a bad time because they are feeling like they're being screwed. Um, and what I'd say from the very top is that 
there are always people who are lying and cheating in the world and stealing and stuff like that. But that's fundamentally not what we're talking about because that's illegal. That's already not allowed. And as as the questioner said, like, I don't know how this is legal. How it's legal is they've spent a lot of time and money with a lot of lawyers over the years learning how they can get away with this in an entirely legal way. So I'm not talking about anything that's against any law right now. Everything is... And in fact, actually, it's not even a secret in the sense that if you sign a contract, if you and I, if I license your book, uh, Jess, uh, mm. I will give you a, a contract that will be in English, legalese, but English. And that's the only, that's the contract between us. I can't break it. And so anything I'm doing that's sort of clever and hiding things from you needs to be allowed in that contract. So it's not um, a matter of, of theft. It's a matter of interpretation and the interpretation being written by one party with them knowing how this works. And so they've worked very hard to to not need to lie and cheat. They've been able to put it in the contract. Um, so what it basically comes so a lot of writers will get a small percentage of the profits, um, mm-hmm. which might be between two and five percent. Anything's you know a contract between two people can be anything we want it to be, especially outside of America because in America they've got the Writers Guild of America, the WGA. That's a union that sort of regulates minimums for various things. But if you wanted to say my book's amazing, I want ten percent of profits, I, that we would, we would be free to negotiate that, and I could put that into the contract. And you might be thinking, great, ten percent sounds lovely. Thank you very much. But ten percent of what? That's the key. Oh. So it's how you define what, and and so profit is what we call a defined term, meaning that if you use the word profit on the street, most people would assume it is all the income minus all the costs. That's just the general usage. But in a contract, it has a specific definition. And I can, if I am the producer, I can define it in a certain way that means there's no money. And crucially, I can define profit meaning different things to different people. So right. there's, a, there's a particular meaning that will be legal for the shareholders, and that will be the more standard reading of it. But then it might be that, let's say Tom Cruise is also in your film. Uh, you have no choice over this. I've cast Aww, him. Not as you. have to be. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Apparently, he has to be in everything. Okay, um, sure. Uh, and he's, he's also got 10%. So you're the writer. You've got 10% of the project, of the profits. He's 10% profits. Great. What I've given him is uh, box office first dollar gross. And what I've given you is the adjusted gross. So they sound very similar. Mm. They they both sound gross, sure. I know that's what you're thinking. Um, but the first dollar means that he's getting, like, if if there's ten, $10 at the box office, this movie hasn't performed very well, and he's got 10%, he'll get $1, and he'll actually get that. Mm. But you will get money after all of the profits, all of the money has come in, but after all the costs I've applied to it. Why would you do and that to me? I'm giving you 10%. 10% a big number. It's got two numbers in it. Also, you're such a talented writer, and I think it's really important that people hear your voice. Um, also, would you like an associate producer credit? We think you should be a producer on this film. Um, well, would you like yes. to come to the party? Yes, I would do. Okay, well, we, I can't even remember what we were talking about before, but anyway, let's move on. Um, and so, so with your adjusted gross proceeds, yeah. uh, or your modified gross proceeds, or net proceeds, whatever these, whatever the term we've used is, yeah. I will be saying, okay, so... So in most most forms of accounting, you either use cash or accrual. Cash is you, you wait till money physically hits your bank account before you say you've got it, and you don't account for any costs until they physically leave the bank account. That's the way you might operate in your pocket. Do I have a fiver in my pocket or not? Mm-hmm. Accrual accounting is where you say, well, I know I'm going to get five pounds tomorrow, so I've basically got that, and I, but I also know I have to pay you know, four pounds to something tomorrow. So I basically got a pound left over. It doesn't matter which you use. Each In the real world, people use different ones for different purposes. In Hollywood, they use both. 
in the way that screws you. So they don't account for any income until it physically hits the bank account. But any cost I can foresee, I will already put onto the cost report. So I'll be saying, okay, well, I know I'm going to have future costs, so I'm going to put that on there. Also, I'm going to set it up as a separate company, and I'm going to loan the, the, the money of the budget to the company. So you have to pay me interest now. So interest comes off before there's profits. Mm-hmm. And then there's an overhead fee because, you know, you're using studio resources. You know, this conversation is costing you something. So let's put an overhead on that. Um, and the Hollywood joke is that they charge interest on overhead and overhead on interest. Uh, and so there's sort of that loop. Um, but also then let's say that I am um, taking the film to Cannes and I've got 20 films I'm representing. And it costs me, for the for this simple math, let's say it costs me $20,000 to be in Cannes. And you have, you know, part of this stream of money, I have to get my cost back. I could say each film owes me $1,000, or I could say, let's say that only your film sold, the other 19 just failed. I could put all the costs of all those movies onto your film. That's called cross-collateralization. So suddenly I've got all my 20 back. That's great. I had a lovely can. Thank you very much. Um, The lobster dinner was particularly nice. Um, This is outrageous. Well, no, you signed the contract. Jess, you, you, this is all written down. This isn't me screwing you. This is all, we, we agreed this. Um, and then also actually you've got, you're in the second position, uh, which means that this other person that is going to get profits gets their profits first and they, and they have a minimum of, of 400 grand. So when they're paid off, then you'll get your, your, your 10%. Um, also, we, I know that it's my company doing the distribution, but it's a legally a separate entity. So I have to pay them a distribution fee. I know it's called Stephen Follows Distribution um, and I'm Stephen Follows Production, but they are another company. So they, and, and I've, they've negotiated really hard and I, I just paid, I had to pay them a lot. I'm really sorry, but they are doing a good job. Um, now, you do have, mm-hmm. you, so there's some good news. I mean, it's, it's terrible news for you. You shouldn't have signed the contract. This has all gone wrong. Chris um, Hunter told but, me to do it. <laughs> Well, uh, he he's just suggested two percent. I I gave you ten percent. I'm a, I'm the good guy here. Um, there's here's here's little bits of of better news on it. Number one, you usually have an audit right, meaning that once a year, if you wanted to, you could pay an accountant to go in and audit all the books. Um, it would probably cost you five or ten grand to, do that, to pay the accountant. <laughs> I don't know if I can be and, asked. <laughs> no, and if you're wrong, as in if I don't owe you more than say five percent, then you have to pay that. Now, if it turns out I actually owe you a lot of money, then I will pay. I have to pay those costs and also what I owed you and things. But um, that would be pretty expensive. But I mean, as a writer, you're. I'm, I'm not defending this, by the way, but I'm just saying that the industry has adapted to this. They, uh, Eddie Murphy used to call gross points monkey points because only a monkey would accept them. Right. So net points are like sort of, you know. Anyway, so so he said that about net points because gross points are the ones that actually come off the top. Net is right. after everything. But um, but you are, but they're sort of adapted for this. So you're getting money from the script to start with. So if this is um, if we're doing WGA minimums, as a, I hate to tell you this, and this is the bit I'm I'm most worried of telling you, you're adaptation of your book will officially be called a non-original screenplay what it's not original um now this isn't an insult even if you might take it as one it means it's an adaptation it means that had you just the script been the first form of the story then it would just be an original screenplay but because it's an adaptation of your book it's classed as non-original and you get slightly less money um it's your book so it's fine it's fine but anyway, so you might WJ minimums for writing the, a first draft screenplay of a non-original uh, uh, adaptation would be a, anywhere from about sixty-seven thousand dollars to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So you would have had that sort of upfront. Mm. Uh, I might have hired you to rewrite it, you know, to give you some notes and say, "Let's do it again. Let's do it again." Uh, you might have got a bonus on when we started filming. 
you'll get a percentage of like uh, the residuals, so the, the TV sales and DVD sales and things like that. Um, if there's a sequel, you might get some money or a credit on that. Um, well, take the money. You might also, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> if you also, if you've been a member of the WGA for long enough, then you will get some pension contributions towards from the studio towards you, and you also your book will probably sell better. And you'll probably get hired more. So it's not to say that these things make it okay. It's just that everyone's already adapted for this wow. and already assumes that you know your ten percent of profits is worth nothing. It's wow. it's sort of um, yeah. Whereas Tom Cruise's lawyers would know exactly what to do to make their ten percent worth something. Well, thanks a lot, Chris Hunter. You ruined my day. I'm blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder what the next step will be in in the. Um... In the story of the voices in my head. Well, we have to find a director. So um, maybe we can talk about that next week. If you've got any questions about directors and how directors come on projects, email us. And remember, your accent should be as exotic as possible. (laughs) Um, It's showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. Showmethemoneypod at gmail.com if you have got any questions. Um, It might also uh, not be an accent. It might be an impression. You just don't know who's (laughs) going to come out. Or it might be one of my cartoon characters. We just don't know what's going to happen. That was brilliant, Stephen. Thank you. Very informative. Um, and also slightly melted my brain. I'm still I'm still opening and closing one eye <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, if you like Show Me The Money, then don't forget to give it a follow in your podcast app and leave us a five-star review, please. And um, yes, don't forget to send us your listeners' questions and have a lovely life until we see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.